Exodus chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go, Let them go and gather straw for themselves. For the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Israel's, uh, whose Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all the task of making the bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people." But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Have you ever wanted to tell somebody something uh, and you were just really excited to tell them and as you were telling them you start to realize they either aren't interested or they don't completely understand what you're talking about? Well, I was reading uh, USA Today uh, a number of weeks ago and uh, I saw this uh, article about the top movies of 2017. And the top movie that they said for 2017, whoever this editor or writer was, they said it was this movie called A Ghost Story. So I thought, it looks interesting, I guess. I'll check it out. So I watched, me and Stephanie watched this movie, and I really thought it was a great movie. Uh, Stephanie didn't like it so much. Uh, and I wanted to go and kind of talk to people about it. So afterwards, I kind of looked online about It's one of those movies that really makes you think, like a movie like Inception or one of those movies. And so I go online, I'm looking at different interpretations of how people think that, it, you know, it should have went and, and whatnot. And I spent like an hour just researching, you know, people's opinions of this movie. And then I really wanted to talk to somebody. 
But nobody that I knew other than Stephanie had seen this movie. So I tried to tell, tell them about this movie. And that didn't go so good. I, I don't think they were that interested. or they, I don't think they got what I saw in the movie because they hadn't experienced it. So I tell them about this movie. I'm like, well, it's this movie, and there's this couple, and they're in love. And then the guy dies, and he comes back as a ghost. And he's not like a scary ghost. He's just like a ghost that has like a sheet over his head. And he just kind of hangs out in the, his house for years and years and years. And then there's this scene where this woman eats a pie for five minutes, and it's great. And they're like, yeah, I'd love to. That sounds great. I, watch a guy with a sheet over his head. And a woman eat a pie for five minutes. It sounds like an awesome movie. So they didn't get it. They didn't experience it until they couldn't understand. We couldn't converse about that. I think that's kind of what happens in this passage. We see that chapter four ends, and there's this kind of a good deal of hope. Aaron meets with Moses. They go to the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron speaks all the things which God commanded Moses to tell to the people. They have these signs that they give before the elders. And it says that the elders believed God. Not only did they believe God, but they bowed their heads and they worshipped. And so we can imagine that Moses and Aaron are greatly encouraged as they leave the elders. God has met with them. They have, the elders have believed them. And it's kind of like they're leaving a worship service. And as they're leaving, if it was today, I would think that they would be kind of humming the tunes of a worship song as they're leaving. And so they got all this confidence and all this faith because of these elders believing in God and worshiping God. And so they go confidently and boldly into Pharaoh. And they say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, speaking on behalf of God, Thus says Yahweh, the true God, let my people go so that they might serve me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh, he says, who's the Lord? Who's the Lord? Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So immediately, like their faith and their confidence is shot down as Pharaoh doesn't know the true God. He said, I don't know him. I will not obey him. One paraphrase of this verse, ancient paraphrase says, I have not found the name of the Lord in the book of angels. I am not afraid of him. So Pharaoh says, I don't know anything about this Lord of yours. And I do not serve him. I do not bow to him. And their confidence and enthusiasm and even their faith is immediately shattered. See, Moses and Aaron have moved from worship to warfare. They move from worship to warfare because Pharaoh has not experienced the true God like they've experienced the true God. And the truth is, the world sees things much differently than God's people see things. Paul uh, David Tripp shares a story about how he was taking his youngest son to uh, one of the art museums in Washington, D.C., he says, as we made our approach, I was so excited about what we were going to see. He was decidedly unexcited. But I just knew that once inside, he would have his mind blown and would thank me for what I have done for him that day. As it turned out, his mind wasn't blown. He wasn't even activated. I saw things of such stunning beauty that it brought me to the edge of tears. He yawned, moaned, and complained his way through gallery after gallery. With every new gallery, I was enthralled. 
But each time we walked into a new space, he begged me to leave. He was surrounded by glory, but saw none of it. He stood in the middle of wonders, but was bored out of his mind. His eyes worked well, but his heart was stone blind. He saw everything, but he saw nothing. So Moses and Aaron leave this place of worship where God had met with them, had showed these signs to them, and they go to Pharaoh and they meet warfare. Pharaoh hasn't experienced the true God. He doesn't bow to the true God. And I think something similar kind of happens in our day more often than we realize. We come to church and we sing and we worship God or maybe we spend time alone with God and we kind of put these distractions aside. And we're just focusing on God and we say, yes, God, you are who you say that you are. As the worship song goes, we say, yes, God, you are greater. Yes, God, you are stronger. Yes, God, you are higher than any other. And so we build ourselves up and we worship that God. And then we walk out the door and it's sometimes like warfare. On the way home, somebody cuts us off. We get in an argument with our spouse. We try to share our faith with somebody else and it looks, they look at us like we have three heads. Immediately we walk out of the doors and we're met with temptation, maybe some addiction that we're struggling with. Maybe we walk out the doors of the church and we see some injustice or something that breaks God's heart. And it seems like we go immediately from worship and praising God and go out into warfare. Here we come together and proclaim that Jesus is King. And then we go out in the world that proclaims many kings. Things like money, power, sex, self, pleasure. And as we go out into the world, often there's kind of this unspoken question, who is the Lord? That's the question the world is asking. Who is the Lord? Who is Jesus that I should obey Him? And so Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they meet this warfare and Immediately, Pharaoh tries to kind of establish himself as king and perhaps even as God. He's trying to flex his muscle to show Israel, these, you are my people. You are my servants. Forget about this God of yours. He's not going to save you. You are going to serve me. And so he says, I'm going to take away all of your straw. Maybe God could provide you with some straw. But guess what? You're going to make the same number of bricks. And so he assaults the people of Israel, brings this kind of frontal attack upon them to show his power, to show his might, to show Israel, you belong to me, not to any other God. And when inevitably they cannot produce the same number of bricks, the Israelite foremen were beaten because of their, they weren't able to, to do enough bricks. And then we see that the foremen come to Moses. And it says in verse 21, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. In essence, they're accusing Moses of being a false prophet. It's not that they reject or disbelieve God. They reject Moses, God's servant. Now, I always wondered in this case why, you know, Moses and Aaron come before Pharaoh And they do all these, you know, we'll see how they bring these plagues that God brings upon the land. And I always wonder, why doesn't Pharaoh just kill him? I mean, he has all these armies, all this power. Why doesn't he just kill him? And then you think about it. His plan is really 
pretty brilliant. I mean, if he would have killed Moses and Aaron, the people, would, the people of Israel would have considered them martyrs. That now we need to fight for our deliverer who Pharaoh killed. But what he does is brilliant in that he discredits Moses and Aaron. He makes Moses and Aaron the source of their problem. He takes the people of Israel and kind of shifts the focus to say, Moses and Aaron are your enemies. I'm not your enemy. Moses and Aaron are the ones who have brought this upon you. And so he tries to focus the attention upon Moses and Aaron rather than on him who is the true enemy. And how often does Satan do that in our churches today? He seeks to divide us and to lose sight on the true, who the true enemy is and to render us ineffective for God's kingdom. And so after that, Moses has this kind of crisis of faith. He says, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. I think what's going through Moses' mind here is he's thinking to himself, God, I told you this was going to happen. I remember, remember we were back at the mountain and you were talking to me in this burning bush and I asked you all these questions. I said, they won't believe in me. They won't believe me. How am I going to do this? And you said, just go, just go. And here I am. I went. And now everything's falling apart. The people are being oppressed. You haven't come through with your promises. I told you this was going to happen. Why did you do this? And then God uh, responds to him. In just a, and we'll look at that in just a few seconds. But we see that what happens to Moses is something that God also said would happen. In chapter 3, verse 9, God tells Moses, But I know that the king of Egypt will not less, let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. So Moses is like, I told you so. He would never, he's never going to let us go. I told you so. Now everything is worth. And God had really told Moses so. He said, you're going to come to Pharaoh and he's going to resist. He's not going to let your people go. And the only way that he's going to let, your, let the people go is if I perform great wonders and signs. And so Moses knows that opposition is going to come. He might not know the particulars of how it was going to come, but he knows that it's going to come. But when it comes... He's like, it's all over. Failed mission. Let's just go back home. We're done. And I think sometimes we do the same thing. The Bible is very clear and it tells us to expect persecution, expect suffering. John fifteen nineteen says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I cho chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we're told to expect persecution. We're told to expect suffering. But sometimes in our life when that happens, then we're like, God, what are you doing? Have you forgotten about me? You aren't delivering me? And we're like, I don't understand why this is happening this way. It's not supposed to work out this way. And sometimes God is, I think, is maybe thinking to himself, well, I told you this was going to happen. I told you this life wasn't going to be easy. I told you being a follower of Christ isn't just going to be a bed of roses. But how often we just act so surprised when bad things happen to us, when we experience opposition. And that's where Moses is. But look at how God responds to Moses. God says, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. 
For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God is like, now I'm going to show you my power. Now I'm going to show you the magic. Now I'm going to show you that God, that I am stronger than Pharaoh. See, sometimes God allows us to experience the strength of our enemies so that we might experience the surpassing greatness of our God. He sometimes allows us to experience the strength of our enemies in order that we might experience the surpassing strength of our great God. Moses gets a glimpse of the might and of the power of Pharaoh. He gets a glimpse of how stubborn and how cruel Pharaoh can be. And then God is like, okay, you've experienced that. You've seen that. You've seen how powerful he is. And now I'm going to show you my strength and I'm going to show you my power. And I'm going to show you that I'm greater than Pharaoh and that I can truly deliver you. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in the midst of a war zone, whether we know it or not. As I was speaking about spiritual warfare, even this morning I felt like I was experiencing it in preparing for the service. There's an enemy that's, the scriptures say, is prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he might devour. And the truth is, he's very, very powerful. He's been observing human nature for thousands and thousands of years. And he knows how to trip us up. He knows how to tempt us. And if we're following after God, especially when we're following after God, Satan will do everything that he can to derail us and destroy us. Now, we can't escape that reality. There is spiritual warfare that's going around on around us. And we can't escape that, but we can choose how we respond to that spiritual warfare. The first thing that we can do is that we can do what Moses did. We can agree with the world. We can agree with those who don't believe in God. We can agree that the world, with the world that God isn't good. That God isn't faithful. That God has forgotten about us. We can shift the blame to God, just like Moses does. He says, you haven't redeemed your people and delivered your people at all. He says, why have you brought down evil upon your people? I thought you were supposed to be a good and just and loving God, but now you've caused all these bad things to happen. And the world is full of these opinions and these arguments that set up this opposition to the things of God. Opinions such as, who is the Lord that I should obey Him? If there's a God, why, does all, why do all these bad things happening? Why is there suffering in the world? Why did God allow such and such to happen? And so the one option that we have is to kind of succumb to the enemy. Agree with the world that God isn't good. That God is not faithful and shift the blame towards Him. The second thing we can do is what the uh, foreman of the Israelites did. They can start pointing the finger to other people. Pretending like our enemy isn't there. The Israelite foreman blamed Moses for their problems. They were too pious to blame God, but they blamed Moses for their problems and took God completely out of the, of the equation. So we can point the finger and blame other, other people for our problems and just kind of consistently be shifting the blame. Whenever something bad happens, it must be somebody else's fault. Or, some of us, maybe we shift the blame inwards. If something bad happens, it's always our fault. I remember the story of Job. All these bad things happen to Job. And his friends come up to him and say, 
you've sinned, you must have done something wrong, you've got to repent, or these bad things are going to keep happening to you. Remember the story of the disciples who come upon a blind man, and they ask Jesus, who sinned? Was it this man, or was his parents that he would be born blind? And sometimes we can continually be pointing the finger at ourselves for anything bad that happens. Forgetting that there's an enemy who seeks to destroy us. Forgetting that bad things happen to God's people. So we can start pointing the finger at other people or at ourselves. But the final thing that we can do is that we can bring worship to the warfare. We can confront our enemy head on. As followers of Jesus, we have the Spirit of Christ that lives inside of us. And what that means is that worship comes from within. We don't need to just worship together corporately. We don't just need to worship in our quiet times. That the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we carry with us worship wherever we go. And worship is to be a way of life for us. And we're to hold on to what's true even in the midst of our adversaries telling us God is not faithful. God is not true. God has forgotten about you. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And he told them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is. And there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now one day, God's kingdom will come. A physical kingdom. But also, God's kingdom lives in our hearts. Those of us who are believers in Jesus. We carry God's kingdom with us as we go out into the world. And as we do that, with the Spirit of Christ living inside of us, we are confronting darkness head on. And so we bring our worship to the warfare. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says, For though we walk in the flesh... We're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So as believers in Christ, as the Spirit of God is living inside of us, as we go out into the world and we face opposition, we confront the falsehoods and the lies that are brought against us with the Word of Christ, with the Scriptures. We see that the world says that God has forgotten about what we eat. We see the truth that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. When When we see the temptations that we face, we Remember the scriptures that says there's no temptation except that which is common to man. And that God will provide a way of escape for us. And so as we go out into the world, we go out as people who are different. People who are worshiping God. People who believe that God is greater. That God is stronger than anything that we might face. And when we face opposition, we confront that opposition with the word of Christ as found in his word. And so we can worship and praise God in the midst of the warfare. Even when it seems like we're losing the battle. Trusting that this is an opportunity for God to show us a greater glimpse of His glory, of His power. This past week, as you know, uh, Reverend Billy Graham passed away. uh, Most famous evangelist, for sure, in American history. And uh, 
He was a man who carried the kingdom of God with him wherever he went. He faced a lot of opposition in his life. People, some people said that he should have done this thing. He kind of faced opposition from two different sides. But everywhere he go, he, he, he went, he was singular in his focus to reach people for the gospel. Everywhere he went, he had a humility about him. They said that even as he was preparing for crusades, he would, they went, when they were doing the sound check, he would read John 3.16 or quote John 3.16 so that if anyone in the building might hear the gospel, even the workers or the media people who were there, so they might hear the gospel just one more time as he was preparing. And so he faced this opposition, but he had the Spirit of God in him. And wherever he went, he brought the truth of Christ with him and he brought God's kingdom. And so while he had critics, he also had supporters from people who had no inclination to follow after God. People uh, respected him and honored him who were not Christians, who didn't follow God at all because of the way he carried himself. Because in everything, he was bringing the kingdom of God because he was worshiping. So spiritual warfare, it's all around us. As we walk out the doors today, I can bet even today, maybe you'll face it. And we have those three options. We can give in and say, yeah, God has forgotten us. God isn't good. Maybe God has taken a nap. Or we can go out the door and we can start pointing the finger and say, oh, I wish so-and-so wasn't this way, or I wish so-and-so wasn't that way, or I wish I wasn't this way, and then everything would go well, and everything would be perfect in my life, and we start blaming other people. Or we can walk out as worshipers into a broken world with the confidence that God is greater than anything that we can face. That even when we face difficulty, even when it seems like our enemies are winning, God uses those opportunities to show us his power, to show us his glory. Sometimes God allows us to experience the strength of our enemies in order that we might experience the surpassing strength of our great God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're faithful to your people, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And we know that in you we find victory, even though sometimes it seems like the enemy is winning. That even in those moments, it's just an opportunity for you to show yourself faithful, to show yourself powerful, to show yourself mighty. And God, we thank you as followers of Jesus that you've done that. In the darkest moment of our history, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we might have life, so that we might have hope in you, so that we might experience your grace, so that we might experience your power, and so that we might be worshipers, even as we go out into the darkness, that we might shine your light into a world that's broken and desperately in need of you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.